Last time, we observed that love is a fluid concept in our modern culture. But we Christians need to care more about how God defines love than how the world defines it. Still, as we turn to the scriptures, we find that the Lord actually describes three different loves. The first of these loves comes naturally to humans, but can be diminished by sin. The second love has the ability to call love from other people. And understanding both of these loves is necessary to truly worshiping God this year. And isn't that our ultimate goal? The one true God of the universe has existed since eternity past in ultimate perfection. He spoke the cosmos into existence for his soul, honor, and glory. He moved heaven and earth to redeem mankind, even though we have nothing to offer him. And he's given us everything we need for life and godliness in his word. He deserves our worship. He deserves our adoration. He deserves our praise. I'm your host, A.M. Brucer, and this is the Celebration of God. Halloween is one of those events it's easy to dismiss because you have to try much harder to understand the spiritual significance of the day. However, you would think that Valentine's Day would be much harder to dismiss because of the obvious focus on the significant spiritual character trait of love. And yet, I've met people who enjoy Halloween because of the candy and the dress-up who decry Valentine's Day. Some do so because they're not in a relationship and they're bitter. Some complain that it's been hijacked by corporations who have over-commercialized it. But honestly, those reasons are poorly conceived. Sure, we may feel that way about Valentine's, but as we've already established many times, God is to be worshipped for all that He is, and He is to be worshipped every day of our lives. Yes, it's true that you needn't observe all the special days other Christians observe, but if you're truly born again, then you will celebrate God's love. If you're truly a follower of Christ, then you will definitely work hard to love others as you have been loved, and you should do that every day of the year, even on February 14th. Now, the Bible doesn't require any of us to exchange valentines. Truthfully, I haven't done that for decades. But that doesn't mean that we should avoid deep discipleship conversations about love and charity and care and affection just because secular companies happen to sell more chocolate and flowers on that day. Again, the arguments against Valentine's Day are paltry. It's my personal persuasion that the more a Christian truly understands God's love, the more they will want to talk about it and demonstrate it and celebrate it. So with that said, we're going to have two episodes about the different kinds of love. And yes, there are different kinds of love. But before we do that, I thought I'd take a moment to share a little-known fact about myself. I have a decent-sized collection of playing cards. It really is a long story, but the sum of it is that I spent a number of my years uh, as an amateur and, at some point, a professional illusionist. My forte was street magic, and I did a lot of work with cards. Well, one of my favorite online magic supply companies started commissioning the bicycle card company to create decks with different designs and purposes. Anyway, I purchased a number, but my friends also started gifting them to me. So I have over a hundred mint conditions still in their plastic wrap deck of, you know, playing cards. Yep. (laughs) I'm not sure if you appreciate me any more or less because of that, but it was once a part of my life. I say once because I can't really remember the last time I added to the collection, but I also have a hard time parting with them. Anyway, as always, you should subscribe to the show, leave us a rating and review, and check out celebrationofgod.com for all of our valuable resources, including free episode notes, transcripts, and various tools to help you worship God better and disciple the ones you love. Speaking of love, love is an interesting word. As my friend Mark used to say, I love my wife and I love pizza, 
but it doesn't end too well for the pizza. Well, what exactly does love mean? And is there any difference between the words love, like, affection, romance, or care? And to complicate matters more, when we open the Bible, we find that the English word love shows up over 300 times, but what we don't automatically realize is that there are at least four different words for love. There's one Hebrew word and at least three Greek words. I say at least because people sometimes differ on whether to count the different word forms as separate words. Anyway, the Greek had about four words they regularly used to describe love because they wanted to differentiate between the different outworkings of those loves. And I really appreciate that. I think modern English speakers are stuck with one word in part because we don't really know what love is. Everyone has a different understanding, so we either need to use a nebulous word that we can interpret however we want, or we're going to have to have like 67 different words that describe love in more precise ways as defined by each individual speaker. And if to being honest, it probably would be more than 67. But what man thinks is rarely important. On the other hand, what God thinks is infinitely important. So let's open the Bible to discover why God chose to use the words he did. First, let me start by saying that we are not going to talk about the Greek word eros. It is a Greek word that is often translated love, but it's also not used anywhere in the Bible. I don't know why, but some pastors have tried to explain that eros is a marital love. However, from my study, that could not be further from the truth. You wouldn't want that kind of love in your marriage. I did two whole podcast episodes, one about Eros in particular, and the other one about romantic love. I'll link both of those in the description of this episode if you're interested in learning more. The first biblical word I want to discuss is called storge. However, just like Eros, the root word storge doesn't actually appear anywhere in Scripture. On the other hand, two forms of the word do show up in three different verses. So we're going to start by discussing the Greek understanding of the word and then look at the three passages where the Bible uses it. Are you ready? Here we go. Storge is interesting because this love has its basis in one's own nature. Storge is a natural affection or natural obligation. Even infants who don't possess the ability to cognitively exercise their selfishness feel this affection. It's a natural movement of the soul for husband, wife, child, friend, or pet. It's a quiet, abiding feeling within a person that rests on something close to him about which he feels good. It's also interesting to note that anyone can feel storge. You don't have to be a Christian to feel this love for another person. Now, that doesn't mean this love is not true love or that it's some sort of perversion. God created us with an instinctual affection for things around us. Children feel it most strongly with their parents. Pets can also receive this love from their humans. Any of you who've ever lost a pet understands storge. But here's the unique thing about storge. For the most part, it's usually unconditional. It doesn't matter if the baby's parents are good people or not. The baby storges them anyway because it's simply a natural response to those to whom we feel close. But this quote-unquote natural affection isn't always natural. And with that, let's jump into Romans chapter 1. Here's a quick overview of verses 18 through 26. Basically, the passage tells us that there are people who know truth about God, but they reject that truth and follow their own hearts. It's a scary passage because in verse 26, it says that God gives them up to dishonorable passions. He allows them to destroy themselves. And then we get to verse 28 where God gives them up even more. And one of the character traits of someone who has been given up by God is that they become, quote, heartless. In the Greek, it would sound like a-storge. When you put the letter a in front of something, generally speaking, you negate the word. So here in Romans 1, the word a-storge means without natural affection. 
In fact, that's how it's translated in the King James. The New American Standard translates it unloving. But before we discuss the implications of astorge, let's look at one other verse where astorge is found. And for that, we turn to 2 Timothy 3. In this passage, Paul is explaining to Timothy what the world will be like in the last days. The passage sounds an awful lot like Romans 1. Paul says that as time goes on, more and more people will reject God. As people reject the truth of God, they will exercise more and more of their depravity. And again, we find the word heartless. That's our word, astorge. So what does it mean that people can be without natural affection? Well, these are the only two times in the Bible where the word is used. That means that much of what we can learn will come from these two passages. And as we already mentioned, storge is a natural, instinctual love. It's an extension of God's common grace to us. But it appears that repeatedly rejecting the truth of God removes a person from this grace of God. Ephesians 4, 17-19 sheds some light on this. Quote, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Having a hard heart caused their minds to be dark and futile, and they became alienated from God. And because of that, they eventually became callous. A callus is a tough layer of skin that's built up because of repeated friction. I have calluses from playing the guitar, the martial arts, and working in the garden. But God is saying that because of the repeated friction of coming in contact with God's truth and rejecting it, a person can become callous in their spirit. This causes them to give in to sensuality and greed and impure lifestyles. So it's clear that we lose our natural affection, our storge, by repeatedly refusing to submit to God. And here's the last verse where a version of this word appears. In Romans 12, 9-13, we read, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Okay, so the word love was used a number of times, especially at the beginning, but only one of those loves is the word for which we are looking. It's translated love at the beginning of verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. But what's interesting about this word is that it's a mix of two of the three biblical loves. The Greek word is philostorgos. It's a combination of storge and philos, and philos means beloved, dear, and friendly. That's the next love word we're going to discuss today. What's interesting is that we're being commanded to have this love hybrid. Now, remember, storge is nowhere commanded of us because it's considered a natural affinity, and the biblical author chose not to use the word phileo. So what is they really commanding here? What's the implication? Well, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul is commanding us to exercise a devotion that should be natural among believers. In fact, the New American Standard Bible translates philostorgos as devoted. All of this to say, whether we're born again or not, we should all exhibit the natural affection for family that God created us to have. But once you're born again to a new spiritual family, God expects that there will be a new kind of natural affection for our fellow believers. Now let's move on to our second love for the day. Number two, phileo. There are a bunch of people from a little place called Philadelphia that know more about this word than perhaps they realize. 
The name Philadelphia means the city of brotherly love, and brotherly love is how most people understand phileo. Although that definitely speaks to the familial nature of this love, it's not restricted to families and close friends like Storge often is. Anybody can have this love for anyone else, saved or unsaved, related or not. So regardless of the people involved, phileo is a companionable love. It speaks of affection, fondness, or liking between two or more people. In fact, phileo requires at least two people because it's a love that feeds the love in others. Phileo responds to kindness, appreciation, and love when it's offered by another. Let me put it this way. When I pour water from one cup into another, it naturally fills the other cup. The water level rises in the second cup because the first cup took the time to pour into it. And then the second cup pours that water back into the first and they keep feeding each other. Phileo works much the same way. As love is poured from one person into another, the amount of love in the second person rises and pours back into the first. Of course, unlike cups, when we pour love into others, our own store of love should not be diminished. Nowhere in scripture do we learn that people have a quote-unquote love tank that needs refilling. People who communicate those ideas are not functioning off a biblical understanding of love. So it's imperative that we don't misunderstand how all of this works. Humans are so instinctively filled with eros that the concept of unselfish love for others with absolutely no ulterior motives is fanciful. Yet we should never phileo others simply because of the quote-unquote future love we hope to get from them. If that's our goal, that's eros, not phileo. And we shouldn't phileo others simply because they showed us love and we want more of it. That's, again, no better than eros. So you may be wondering, is it possible to have a sinful phileo? And the unfortunate answer is yes. Storge can't really be sinful. It's instinctual and natural. The sinful thing would be to not have storge at all. But with phileo, it, it's, it itself can be sinfully used. Jesus points this out in Matthew 6, 5. He was teaching about prayer, and he said, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love, they phileo, to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Unquote. He shared a similar sentiment in Matthew 23, 6. In that passage, he was condemning the same group of people by saying they phileo the place of honor at feasts. And Revelation 22, 15 takes it even further when it refers to people who phileo and practice falsehood. And it's very interesting to note that in Matthew 26, 48, Judas said the guards would know who Jesus was because Judas would phileo him. Phileo can mean simply kiss, and I don't believe a kiss was ever used in a more diabolical way than it was the night Judas betrayed God. Like we noticed earlier, phileo has a natural give and take about it. Phileo is cyclical, and that means that it can be fed by any number of things. The Pharisees loved to pray in public because it was fed by the praise they received. They also liked the best seats at the feast because of the popularity and honor and prestige that was poured into them. There are many that love falsehood because of the, the perceived benefit that flowed into their lives when they lied. So what does all this mean? Well, like everything else in life, God's perfect creation has been twisted. What was created to be holy and unselfish can be tainted. We're supposed to phileo because that's how God created it. He wants us to use that love to call phileo out of those we love. And as the person we love pours phileo back into us, it strengthens the phileo we have for them. This is why it's called brotherly love. It's companionable love. It works with the love in others to bond and intertwine. That's how it's meant to work in a perfect world. Yet, we live in anything but a perfect world, and everyone in your family is imperfect. So we're going to look at six warnings and then discuss how we can live out this love at home and during the season of Valentine's. 
Now, I recognize that we're going a little bit longer today than usual. That's okay. Let's finish up with some practical applications for our Valentine's holiday. First, in regard to Storge, number one, God created all of us to love our family members and close friends with a natural affection. That means if we've lost that love, there is a serious problem with us. Number two, this natural affection can only be lost as we repeatedly choose to disobey God's truth. We need to diligently search our hearts and get biblical counsel if we discover that we no longer care for people for whom we should have natural affection. All that does for us is reveal that there is a problem again with us. And three, if you and your family members are born again, God actually commands you to exhibit philostorgos for your born-again family. As a biblical counselor, it grieves my heart to see how many professing Christians no longer quote-unquote love their family members. They can't stand them. They act and talk so hateful. It breaks my heart for all the obvious relational carnage they're creating, but more importantly, they're directly disobeying God. And our last observation for Storge is this. Number four, this natural affection for other believers can also be lost only when we choose to disobey God's truth. This doesn't affect just our families. It affects our churches and all relationships within the body of Christ. Therefore, we should be using this season of celebration to reevaluate our love for our physical and spiritual families. We should be rooting out any sins in our lives because we know they're destroying the love I should have. Now, let's discuss phileo. Here are five warnings. Number one. Warning number one has already been discussed. We must not show others love simply so we can benefit from it. That's fake love. Number two, our second warning is this. Phileo grows when another invests in us. That means that phileo can grow even if storge or sinful attention is being poured into us. Storge is pure and beautiful, and it should call phileo from us and then call phileo from the other person. But phileo that grows from sinful affection alone is kind of tricky. Sinful, selfish affection may do and say all the same things that phileo may do and say, and we'd be none the wiser because we can't see the other's motivation unless they expose it. So be careful that you keep high biblical expectations in your life and in others' lives so that you can help others be honest about their love. Number three, just because you love someone doesn't mean they'll phileo you back. This has a significant implication. Don't be certain that your love will right all wrongs. People are still free moral agents to do as they please. In 1 Corinthians 16.22, it says, If anyone has no phileo for the Lord, let him be accursed. The obvious understanding is that God has so abundantly poured love into us, anyone who would not reciprocate that love is not his child and will be accursed. You'd think that if God himself is pouring phileo into someone's life, they would have to reciprocate, but it's still a choice. Number four, if our love is merely phileo and nothing else, it can gradually become strained and weakened when the other person stops pouring love into us or doesn't reciprocate our love. In a worst-case scenario, it can collapse in a crisis completely. And number five, don't think that the love that phileo pours into others is only ever hearts and rainbows and flowers. In Revelation 3.19, Jesus says, Those whom I phileo, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. We see two important truths here. One is that phileo is prepared to do the uncomfortable thing. It's willing to reprove and discipline. And two, when the love of Jesus is being poured into us, that should draw out of us a phileo response, specifically zeal for right and repentance for wrong. As Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. All right, so those are the warnings. Now let's talk about how we can increase the phileo in yours and your disciples' life during Valentine's. Number one, make sure you phileo God first. Consider Matthew 10, 37. 
Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If we aren't phileoing God more than anyone else, there will be a problem. So make the love of God your first priority. Number two, don't phileo what doesn't matter. John 12, 25, whoever phileos his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Revelation 22:15 b talks about everyone who phileos and practices falsehood. If we shouldn't be loving our family more than we love God, then there should be no place in our lives for loving things that God hates. If you want to cultivate phileo in your life, be sure to stop loving unkindness, disrespect, laziness, impatience, lust, and all the other negative character traits the Bible talks about. Number three, don't accept the phileo of the world. John 15, 19, if you were of the world, the world would phileo you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Listen, if the world loves you, there's a problem. If we phileo God, then we have the promise that the world will hate us. And if the world loves us, then the world views us as being one of them. And that should never be if we're followers of Christ. So if you want to grow in the bonds of love, be sure not to reciprocate the phileo the world uses to tie you to themselves. Now, this isn't to say that we don't love the world, that we don't love unbelievers. That's not true at all. But we definitely must be careful that we're pouring the right love into them. Number four, accept every aspect of the phileo of God. Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Sometimes the love God will pour into us will be delightful and comfortable. It will consist of joy and fulfilled promises and blessing, but sometimes that phileo will be uncomfortable. Don't reject it. God's using that correction to make us who we need to be. Our dislike for correction is tied to two sinful thought patterns. First, we often don't want to go the direction God wants us to go, so a correction that gets us back on God's track takes us away from our own. And second, sometimes we don't like correction just because we're prideful and don't want to be told we're wrong, even when we know we're wrong. And this can happen even when we're happy to be on the right track. That's why we get angry when we're corrected. And since neither of those reasons are any good, we should take this admonishment and realize that correction from God and from our other authorities and fellow disciples is a sign of love. It's good. It should actually make us happy that we can get back to following Christ after drifting towards sin and destruction. And lastly, number five, don't settle for phileo. John 21, 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Like I already pointed out, storge is an unconscious affection. Phileo is called out of us by the love of others and feeds that love in return, but there is a love that far outshines phileo. The passage I just read was part of a longer conversation Jesus had with Peter after his resurrection. Jesus asked Peter two times if he loved his Lord, but Peter did not use the same love word Jesus did. Jesus was calling Peter to a deeper unconditional love, but Peter knew he wasn't ready for that. And he wasn't. Presumably, it was at this point or a little later that Peter truly submitted his life to Christ and became a genuine follower. My point is, phileo is a good start, and it's a wonderful blessing when used the right way, but it can't compare to the love we're commanded to have over 300 times in the New Testament, the love we're going to discuss next time. Thanks for joining our study of biblical love. I hope this episode was insightful and helpful for you. And if you already knew about these two biblical forms of love, I pray it was a timely reminder as we approach Valentine's Day. Wouldn't it be great if this year, for the first time, we actually worshiped God on Valentine's by loving the way he commands us to love? Wouldn't it be fantastic if our preparation caused us to love God more and love others more? 
wouldn't it be worth celebrating? Well, if this episode was a blessing to you, please rate and review us on iTunes and Facebook and share this with your friends. Next time, we plan to discuss the purest, most divine love humans can experience. It's God's love in us, and I'm really excited to talk to you about it. I'll see you then. If you want to know God better, celebrate Him more, and help the ones you love to do the same, subscribe to this podcast and visit celebrationofgod.com to learn more about this dynamic discipleship resource. And remember, the Celebration of God is a listener-supported ministry.